you will, take out your handout bulletin that you have there, and there's a place to follow along if you so desire in the, the notes section in the middle. Uh, but if you'll note on the very front, there's a paragraph I'd just like to draw your attention to to look at, and just a reality, we, we live in, in troubling times, don't we? And it's a messed up world. Good grief, it's a messed up world. Uh, off the wall arguments and opinions. We're surrounded with lies <laughs> everywhere you go. However, when, when we as believers are able to sit down together and, and open a Bible like we're doing here uh, and study God's Word, we're able to gain clarity. We're able, to, we're able to see things. We're able to get insight into what's going on. And we find assurance. It's going to be okay. Um, and, and we learn how to live in this world, as messed up as it is. We can live with, with, by faith uh, in Christ alone, by grace alone, and, and by faith alone. And, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to open up these scriptures, and we're just going to, to let the Word of God help our insight into what is happening in life. And, and um, as you've just heard read, we're going to see that it's, it's emphasizing this, this thing that, that we call legalism. It's, it's a heinous thing. And Paul's already addressed this in Galatians. And, but yet, the way we get past that is by focusing on the, the power of the cross that we've just sung about. This beautiful, beautiful picture of what Christ has accomplished there. And then we are living in, in light and in, in the encouragement and with the help of God, His grace, this amazing grace. So that's where we'll be going as we open the Scriptures here together. And I'd, I'd like to encourage you to just keep engaged, keep listening, and find the insight that comes from looking to Jesus even in this day and age. So Galatians chapter 6 our text is chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. We've come to the end of the book. We've been working verse by verse through the Galatians, this book of Galatians, what, for about a year, year and a half now. And a few breaks here and there with some other things, but uh, it's been a journey of, of looking for the insight to how to, how to view life. And this is, this is our understanding of how God's grace is understood in life. And the title of the message is, Get the point of Paul's fitting final insights. Get the point. Let's get the picture here and understand this. My, my penmanship is atrocious. It's horrible. It's embarrassing. I, I, I don't like to write in front of people. I don't even write to, like to write thank you cards because people look at the card and go, but that's messy. What a... That, did a, th did a first grader write that or a kindergartner? I mean, my, my handwriting, my, my, my penmanship is just awful. I was taught handwriting, but I was never able to get it very well and to get it down well. And I just, I, I did it, but it just looked awful. So I thought, okay, I'll simplify things. I'll just go to printing. And that didn't improve things a lot either. Um, I really admire nice penmanship. In fact, I have, my dad had beautiful penmanship. It's something he really worked at. In fact, I have some of his sermon notes, and it's like a work of art. I mean, he, I mean, he just puts so much work into making that just, just a beautiful thing, and his handwriting and so forth, and, and I, I'm jealous of that. 
dad. <laughs> and mine, mine are, if you look at my notes, they're just scribbled. They're just messy all over the place. And you know, the, the more I use a keyboard, the worse my scribbles become. And it's just, it's just embarrassing. Anybody else with me on that? Um, and I just, I just, when I say it, I just, I'm like, ugh. I just, ugh. Oh, well. Let's just move on. <laughs> well, that's what I have in mind when we come to this first verse of our text here at the end of Galatians, verse 11. Paul says, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Maybe I had something in common with the Apostle Paul. I don't know. Uh, Paul is remarking here about, about the size of the letters to his own penmanship. Um, his pattern had been to dictate his letters to a scribe, and then at the end of the letter he would pick up a pen and he'd write out a few closing words, and then, then he'd sign his own signature uh, just for verification. But, but why, would he, why would he do that? Well, people needed to be able to read what he was writing, you know. And so somebody else wrote it out so that, that they could actually see it. Uh, however, with this letter, Galatians, uh, it's possible that he, he wrote the entire thing in his own handwriting. And it was with large letters, possibly because of his poor eyesight, part, maybe because he was just trying to make it so it could be readable. Uh, but it was very important to Paul that, that they get the point of this letter. These churches in the Galatian region, it was very important that they understand why he was writing it and what they were supposed to get. They were supposed to get the point. So either way, whether he was writing just because uh, he you know, needed somebody else to write and he's just picking up the pen at the end, or if he's writing the whole thing out, he's wanting them to be able to read it as best as they can. He wants to make sure that this is such, such an important letter. He's saying to them at the end of this, now let's review this. We've got to get the point here. Let's get this. So let's take some time this morning together to just have this scripture open in front of us and to get the point of these closing insights. The first insight is this, and it's what he started out with in chapter 1 and 2. Avoid religious, and I put that in quotation, religious legalism. Now legalism is not a word that we have in the Bible, but it's illustrated by what we've just read here, and, and I think we get the point. Look at verse 12 and 13. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ by others, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So here's the key concept here. Impressing the crowd is not from God. It's not something that is genuine. Here we read of them in verse 12, talking about boasting in the flesh, having the thing that really is important to them and what they emphasize and what they want to be known for is in, look at me, look at, look at how I'm doing. So trying to impress people is not a good thing. Trying to be noticed and, and be famous and everybody think, oh man, that's such a good person. So legalists focus on impressing the religious, and I put that in quotation marks, and I'll get, explain why that in just a moment, the religious crowd who is in power. 
Maybe that's in, in positional power. Maybe it's because they're popular. They're the in crowd or they have the most influence by what they're saying. They paint themselves as good and respectable. But masking their evil hearts, you know, Jesus said this, for within, don't look at the outside, look at the heart. That's where murders and adulteries and fornication and thefts and false witnesses and blasphemies are. It comes out of the heart, what's inside. So they, they're try, trying to cover that with external morality, whatever that may be in their mindset. What is your morality? And what Paul says is that's a different gospel. Pointing to yourself and pointing to how good you are, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy. So it's not us. So, so the attention should not be drawn to us. Look at how good we are. Now, in Paul's day, these legalists emphasized certain codes of conduct. And we talked about that. Again, this is going back and reviewing what we looked at earlier in Galatians. Uh, they emphasized this thing that was circumcision and the kosher regulations that they had in the law and certain holy days that they had to keep at certain times of the year. And, and that, was, that was God's way with the children of Israel of distinguishing them from the rest of the culture so others would look to them and see, so what, so what is it about them that they have that they know about God? But in the minds of these people, they were forgetting the purposes of God in this, and they were looking at, hey, we're better than everyone else. Comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, we're not wise. So Paul here in this book of Galatians has written it to, to attack this insidious legalism that was becoming the mindset of so many. In fact, in chapter 2, go back to chapter 2 in Galatians here, um, in verse 11, you'll, you'll see that, that Paul even took on Peter, you know, this other apostle, because Paul had been intimidated by this crowd who was wanting to control so that, so that they, they would not be intimidated by somebody else who was saying, you can't do that. And the way Paul attacks this legalism is to focus on the reality and the truth of the gospel. In fact, he tells his own story in chapters 1 and 2 where he came to know Jesus Christ, even though he was all caught up with, with, look at me, look how great I am, look how many rules I'm keeping, look how smart I am. And he said, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we're justified by faith in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And he's emphasizing that in chapters 3 and 4, because we have this justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone, we now have a relationship. We're part of God's family. We're, we're, we're no longer slaves. We're called sons. We're, we're heirs of the kingdom. And because we have that relationship, it's no longer a performance. We're, it's, we're, we're in the family. And so you don't have to worry about impressing people with your codes of conduct. And then in chapter 5 and 6, he emphasizes again what it was that we've been looking at, this fruit of the Spirit, and how God gives us the Spirit to bring to us an understanding of this life, and He's prompting us with the words of the Word of God and bringing to remembrance the things He's taught us about Jesus, and we fall in love with Him again and again, and it's no longer a performance or impressing people. It's something from the heart. Legalism is still a big problem in our day. It wasn't just for these people in the Bible times. It's still a problem. 
It shows in so many different ways within our individual lives, within our families, within our churches, within our culture. Do you see the legalism throughout our culture? You don't have to be in church to be a legalist. It shows up in different ways. Let me just highlight two, just so we're aware. And I've kind of given it two similar titles, but different. It's kind of on the, the extremes, and then there are all kinds of different ways it shows up in the middle. And I, I, It's so important that we just stop and look and see what's happening in our culture. Um, the, the first one I'll call is what what's call, I call the, the new liberal legalism. <laughs> different forms of morality that are not in the Bible, but it's still morality. We're expected to keep these codes um, can't use the wrong pronoun. Uh, we're, we're accused of saying if, we're, if, if we, if we disagree with somebody, that's what's hate speech. That, that is actually a form of legalism. And it really goes back to a, a false theology. See, we're all theologians. We may not be able to identify it very clearly, but we're all theologians. And we're, we're choosing different, different things that we really have at the core about what we think about God. That's theology. And there's a theology in our world today that's, that's called liberation theology that's focused on the victim and the oppressor. And if, if you can claim to be a victim, whatever it is the oppressor does against you, it, that, that's, that's the true wrong in life. And it's not that you've done anything wrong before a holy God, it's that you've been offended. And that is controlling so much of our culture and it's a return to a, a legalism that tries, and we'll see how it comes out in control and, and redefining things, and it's, it's a struggle. But the other side of it is what I would call old churchy legalism. Again, maybe we're a little bit more familiar with this. We've seen this all of our days. And focusing on pet issues or standards Certain things that, that prove our own superior, superiority or, or it's a way that we feel like we're gaining spirituality, we're, we're, we're getting better at this Christian life if I cert, keep certain rules. Yes, we, we have some things that we want to do because it's right, because God says so. It's in the Word, right? But our motivation isn't, look at me, the motivation is, I want to please Jesus. You see the difference there? So, um, traditions, favorite doctrines that we have figured out that we like to argue about and, and impress people that we've got it figured out and they don't. Huh, that's exhausting. <laughs> there are times in, when, uh, we, when we would have college students over a good bit in our house and they'd, they'd come to our house on the weekend and they'd be talking about things that they, they heard in, in class and different doctrines that they were studying and they studying and they'd just get to arguing away at it. And, and I thought, somebody just lock them up for about two or three years. Let them get over that. Then they'll be good. <laughs> they'll get over themselves. We think we're so smart. That can be a form of legalism or certain styles of religion or worship. Entire religious systems, whole religions have built around certain codes that aren't in the Bible, <laughs> but they make us feel good about ourselves. Or even cults. If you go back and look your way through the cults, it really is legalism. But here Paul points out that these legalists are focused on 
forcefully exercising control. Yeah, control. They force you. We read that in verse, um, verse 12. They, they, they would force you to do these expectations. And this happens through intimidation or threat or, or limits. And picture it this way. Maybe, maybe picture yourself in the um, communist China where they're telling you what you can think, what you can say, what you can do, where you can talk about God. They're really focused on control. Or maybe I just described a little bit of here what it's like in the United States now. We've got legalism just oppressing. Don't talk, don't speak, don't think, just do what you're supposed to. And, and don't cause any trouble. I can take you to churches all over the place that that same spirit is there, or colleges. They, force, they want to be in control of things. There's a sense of security that comes from somebody being in control, right? But it, but, but it really stifles. Legalists also prove to be very hypocritical. You can see right through them. Now, they, they don't want to, to face the hardships. They don't want other people oppressing them, so they'll go along with it, but their heart really isn't. Look at verse 12. They do this in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they're, 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 they're bothered by having to do something, but they'll do, go along with it because they don't want to be persecuted. Peter, in chapter 2. Um, they want the benefits without the responsibility. Um, and then they, they, they do not themselves keep the law that they are forcing upon others. Look at verse 13. Even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Now what that's emphasizing is they're emphasizing one point but ignoring a bunch of other things. They'll, they'll make their main issue their main issue, but they'll ignore a lot of other things that they should be addressing. And anybody that looks at it can see right through the hypocrisy. And isn't that a turnoff? Yeah. So Paul has seen the dangers of this legalism. And he goes, ugh. And so he's written this book of Galatians that we've studied over these last months to correct that slide into, and, 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 and bring them away from the fear of being controlled and, and this man-centered, look at me. And yet if we, we, if we fall for this legalism, this kind of spirit, we miss the point of the gospel that we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. The gospel of Christ, he came to fulfill his father's promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we believe and we're cleansed. And as we've sung about, we're, we're washed by the blood of the Lamb. God looks upon us and his wrath is completely satisfied. And he looks and he sees the sacrifice of his own son, and the, and the righteousness of His own Son that was given to us. And we receive that by faith. And we, we say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's our motivation. 
And we start to respond to the Spirit of God who is telling us, this is true, this is true, the Bible is true, you can do this, follow through, here's an opportunity, obey me. And the Spirit of God is moving within our soul to do the next right thing that we do by faith. So that's, that's Paul's point. Get the gospel right. Enjoy the relationship you, ha- you have with Jesus Christ because of the gospel. And then respond to the Spirit as you live this life out with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and so forth. So go back and check your theology. Is your theology one of a true picture of the understanding of Jesus Christ? Or is it skewed by all the fears of what other people are going to say about you? Are you caught up with this world's ideas or God's ideas? So what can we do to fix that problem? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I love that song. Wasn't that fun today to sing that? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Identify with the cross. Now, that's a terminology that is clearly Christian. It's it's biblical. It's something we talk about again and again here in the New Testament. Identify with the cross. And here's the key concept. Following Christ is going to be costly. It's not a convenient thing. It's not a popular thing. If it is, you're probably drifting toward the legalism because it's, it's a fad. But Paul here says we boast or we, we have confidence in the cross. We get excited about this thing called the cross. And the question I have is, when I look at these verses, is why would, why would Paul say that? Why does, he, why does he boast about this? Why does he get excited about this? Look at verse 14. But, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6, verse 14. Think about it. What what is the cross? Why why would that be something that's put there? What is Paul saying that he's getting excited about? Well, the cross, quite literally in this culture, I'm not talking about our culture, but talking about what, what people in this day and age that Paul was writing to in those churches around the Galatian region, they understood that term cross to mean torture. It was like Paul was saying, I glory in the electric chair, or I glory in the firing squad. That doesn't make sense. The cross was torture. Historians indicate that that as many as 30,000 people were crucified by the Romans in and around Israel during this time of Jesus. You know, these decades right around Jesus' time. So it was, it was something that was very common. The people had a first-hand picture of having seen people hanging on a cross because that's what the Romans did. They learned it from the Persians before that. They, they, they made it to where they, they really had that thing figured out. And that's the way they got their point across. Don't, don't mess with us. It was excruciating, this torture process excruciating. It was torture. So Paul is saying, I glory in this cross. Why would he be saying that? That word excruciating is actually a word that has its, its roots in a Latin word that in the middle of this word, we, we, we see this word crux, uh, excruciating. And that is the Latin term for the word cross. 
that was part of the picture. When they thought of something that was excruciating, they thought of the cross. So, this wasn't some pendant on a necklace, a pretty little thing. It wasn't some symbol of religious identity put on top of a steeple in a church. It was gruesome torture. This word, Paul says, I'm glorying in the cross. We've got to figure out why he's saying that. Not only that, there's a second way this word was understood in that day as well. It was a symbol, it had become a symbol of humiliating disgrace. It was, it was humiliation. You want to be mocked? Talk about somebody who is worshiping somebody that's on a cross. One of the earliest pictures of the cross um, is a second century graffiti called the Alex Imenos Graffito. I think there's a picture of the drawing of that. This was something that was on, on a rock that was graffiti that was left and still was visible. And here is showing the figure of, of a head of a donkey on a cross with the mocking words, Alexa Menos worships his God. Ha! Mocking this one who would worship something that stupid. And Paul here says, I boast in the cross. Why identify with that? Well, the cross is where Jesus did for us what no one else could do. The cross where he hung, he went there of his own love for his father, obedience to his father's will, because there was no other way for his love to be able to express to a mankind who had rejected him. The cross is where Christ willingly was the substitute. He went in our place to pay the penalty for our sin, bearing the entire weight of the wrath of a holy God. No one else could do this because we are all sinners. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, correct? But Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth, never once sinned, came to do His Father's will, and He went obediently, humbly, to this torturous death that was so humiliating. They spit on Him. They mocked Him. They flogged Him. They crucified Him. And that is what we look to and that becomes our motivation, the cross. Not what we get out of it, not how we look, not how wonderful we feel. Going to church, I hope that you feel your emotions move for, for good, but that's not, I mean, that's a result. That's not our motivation. Our motivation is, if that's what He would do for me, I want to live for Him. Amen? I love Jesus. And because of the love of God shown on the cross, we have the freedom, because of this relationship He's given to us, we have the freedom to live out this gospel without fear of intimidation in spite of the way the world is around us.
and the world is a mess. But that doesn't bother us because we have something inside. The gift of God's salvation because of what Jesus has done for us that no one can ever take away. We have life. In fact, if you will take your Bibles and turn back just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Jordan already referenced this. He didn't know I was going to reference it because it wasn't in my notes earlier. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. In your few Bibles that would be page 895. We read, this is Paul's point here. For the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness, it's, it's an embarrassment to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is what moves us. This is what motivates us. This is what convinces us of what life is all about. Christian, because of the cross, we can enjoy living in the world because we have Jesus' perfect sacrifice taking care of our problem of sin. And He's promised to come dwell within us. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And we are called to a higher purpose. We're not controlled by intimidation or fear or worry. We have a higher purpose. And that is our relationship with Jesus, who is within us, living within us. And He is the one who motivates us with His love. He controls us. So we don't have to fear this world's control or what other people think. We don't have to bow to worship this world's system, even though that's being imposed upon us in our culture. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess of things in heaven and things in earth, things under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our reality. He has already won the victory. He's conquered sin in the grave. Thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, we are a new creation. Look at verse 15 as we work through our passage. For neither circumcision nor uh, or counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation or a new life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is a new life we have in Christ. And look at verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, emphasizing the cross that Paul understood was his priority, this rule, there's peace and mercy being upon them and upon the Israel of God. So we walk, the stoicho, we keep in step with this. We hold on to this. We keep, keep consistently in line with this rule. Or you would recognize this rule as, as the word canon or this, this body of truth, this gospel of the cross. And in so doing, when this is our motivation, this is our calling, this is our understanding of what life really is, this rule, we experience peace and mercy. You see that? Verse 16. All who walk by this rule that He has laid out for us in the book of Galatians, we are experiencing peace. Peace, remember, is not the absence of conflict. It's the restoration. It's the reconciliation of a relationship. Since we have been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. We know that when God looks upon us, He's not viewing our failures and our sin. He's looking on the perfect sacrifice of His Son. And He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And we're reconciled to the Lamb. And we also have mercy. And mercy here means that God has delivered 
whatever we need to cover us through this miserable life that has sin, and He continues even when things are going beyond what we think we can handle, God continues to give us His mercy. And it all is because of Jesus Christ. We come boldly before His throne of mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we experience peace and mercy. And you'll notice this one little phrase that's left in verse 16. And upon the Israel of God. I found that an intriguing point. We understand the point of life. The Israel of God. The point of Israel's existence was to make God known to the rest of the world so the rest of the world could have hope. They got so caught up with pleading in themselves and being like everybody else and wanting all the gods and all the, all the paganism. They wanted to be just like everyone else. They failed at that calling to be identified as God's people. They blew it. So Jesus came. He died on the cross. He fulfilled all the promises that God had said about this coming Messiah. And He won the victory. He did exactly what Israel was supposed to tell the world that the Messiah would do. And then He gives us the responsibility to let the world know. So Paul says here, I bear in my body the marks of... Verse 17, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That is the word, the stigma. Everybody knows what I believe. I have the mark of, of what Jesus Christ has done for me. It's, everybody knows I'm a Christian. By the way he lived and what he talked about and what his priorities were. And that leads us to this last verse. It's a great verse. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers, amen. Here's the point. Utilize God's grace. And here's what we're emphasizing. We need God's help. And God's grace is God's help to us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, that part of you that really needs this. And there's so many different ways that God's grace works within our lives. And we've studied this already through the book. That's what the book of Galatians is all about, discovering God's grace. We don't have to live on our own. We've got His help. He helped us with the gospel. He's given us this relationship with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit filling us to, to change us and to help us live. And so His grace is working at our lives throughout our lives. And there are all kinds of different ways it shows up. Let me just give you a list of four words that you can tie with the word grace. You ready? Saving grace. Sanctifying grace. Sustaining grace. And suffering grace. Let me give that to you again. Saving grace. Sanctifying grace. Sustaining grace. And suffering grace. Just in the last couple of weeks, in our church fellowship, I won't use names of people, but just various people talking to me about life. One person said to me, you know, I, I was in town, I, was, I, I got COVID about a, a year and a half ago, and, and the thought went through my head, if I died, I don't know where I would go. And that's an important question you need to get answered. If you die, where are you going to go? 
the most important question you can ever have answered is if you died, where would you go? The Bible says it's either heaven because of Jesus or hell because of the penalty of our sin. The wages of sin is death. And that thought was just permeating his mind. He kept going back to that over and over again. He was bothered by that. So one day, a couple weeks ago, he showed up at church. Just started searching. We started talking about it. We got together a week or so ago. And we just walked through what the gospel is about Jesus Christ. And he said, I want that. I did that. I already asked Jesus to do that yesterday. That's saving grace. That's God taking a person from the guilt of sin to the hope of Christ and everlasting life. Saving grace. Sanctifying grace. Somebody mentioned to me just the other day that they were working through these these fears and anxiousness and always being uptight about things and how God had been pointing them to things that are in the Word of God that gave them peace. They didn't have to worry about what was going on. They could trust God to be in control as a sovereign God. That's sanctifying grace. Then there's sustaining grace. My grace is sufficient in time of need, the Scriptures tell us. Somebody said to me recently, going through a problem that has just gone on for years and doesn't seem to have an answer. But this was the statement. Pastor, I don't know where I'd be without the grace of God. It's helped me get through this. That's sustaining grace. And then there's suffering grace. I was with one of our dear saints, a lady who now is on hospice, is at home, but you walk in, you talk to her, and she's smiling from ear to ear. She said to me just yesterday, Pastor, I have peace. I'm so ready to go to heaven. This is, God's been so good to me. Even at that moment of dying, there's grace that's sufficient that God gives the Christian. Oh, it's a journey that's fearful, but you know what's the other side. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's that amazing grace that we hold on to. That's the hope of everlasting life. And as you, it, as you just immerse yourself in the Word of God and these truths, you grow in this grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, and you're built up in the faith, and you understand that this grace is something I just love. I'm so thankful for it. Utilize it. Use the, this amazing grace that's been poured out to us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That part of you that is going to live forever and commune with your Lord and Savior as a child of the King. So that last verse really does summarize the entire book of Galatians. He started with this in Galatians 1 verse 3, grace to you, and he ends with this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And the last word is, amen. Amen. This is true. The Bible is true, and we can count on it. Life is all about Christ, our Lord and our God. Our response to the gospel that's revealed in this book, it changes our lives. And it's God's love that motivates us because we can say amen 
This is true. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you to examine your heart about what you're going to do with what you've just heard. Maybe you struggle with self-sufficiency and with legalism. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to figure out this world and the mess that this world is. You know what? God has an answer for that. He's given us the testimony of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know what? You can come back to Jesus and know that his answers are right. You can have confidence in this truth. Lord, thank you that you help us to live by your grace. And right now, as your believers are praying to you, may they understand this grace, this wonderful grace, this glorious grace of God that helps us in each moment of our lives. You promise never to leave us, never to forsake us. You are a very present help. May we enjoy that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.